I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, where we take a look at music's effect on our everyday lives. Most of us here in the United States are currently in various stages of wrapping up the school year and in a completely different way of wrapping up the school year than we had expected just a few months ago. One of the big takeaways from this pandemic experience is the incredible value of adaptability, being willing to change and capable of changing when needed, and also being resourceful, learning to create with whatever we have available. This is exactly what we're going to be talking about today, new and innovative opportunities within music education to engage more students in the life-enhancing creative process of music making, students who otherwise may fall through the cracks of a traditional school band or orchestra or choir program. My guest today is Dr. Clint Randalls, Associate Professor of Music Education at the University of South Florida, where he teaches courses on progressive music education methods. These courses essentially prepare future teachers to teach music school music classes that don't yet exist widespread. In addition to his teaching, Dr. Randalls started an iPad band with a colleague in 2010 that played all over the country, including at major technology product conventions on ESPN for TEDx Tampa Bay and at the Opperland Resort in Nashville, and led to his recruitment by America's Got Talent. He's also the author of the forthcoming book, To Create, Imagining the Good Life Through Music. Welcome to Enhanced Life with Music, Dr. Randalls. Well, thank you for having me. Great to have you. You talk in your book, I was fortunate enough to get a draft, advanced draft look at your book, and you talk in the book about the advent of a new age in music production and music education that began around 2003 when Apple's GarageBand began being shipped with every computer. This new age brought this whole spectrum of additional opportunities for us to potentially diversify school music curriculum. Certainly, many students are well-served and will continue to be well-served by the traditional school bands and orchestras and choirs, but we'll always have those students who aren't a great fit for those programs, whether it's because they play guitar, which isn't used in those settings, or for other reasons. Tell us about some of the students you've worked with who may not have been a good fit for the traditional school band program, but have been able to ignite their own musicality and creativity and innate love of music through some of the new innovative music making methods that you explore in your courses? Well, the first story that comes to mind when when you ask that question, I think of a particular student, Ross Reynolds, who I taught in West Michigan. I took a new position in Coopersville at the high school there, and everyone told me about how there was an amazing trumpet player who had just quit the spring before and I was recruiting people for pep band, and um, I wondered if I could talk to him. So I went to a Spanish class. He came out, and I said, hi. I was just wondering what musical things you're doing right now. And come to find out, he he had been taking trumpet lessons since fourth grade. His dad was a college faculty at Grand Valley State, and he was just what everyone was talking about. He was an amazing trumpet player. In, in eighth grade, he was playing excerpts from the Carnival of Venice and um, just top-notch, top-rung musician, high school musician, but he became bored with band and, and the things that band offers. And he was recording his own songs, multi-track recording, 25 different vocal lines on certain tracks and creating CDs that he would give to his friends and sell. And, 
And so I got him to uh, agree to play trumpet some in my basketball pet band and be the lead singer for the pet band. Um, which was very different in Coopersville. We'd never had a lead singer for the pet band. And so what happened is, you know, I had kids showing up with their guitars and I would never turn them away. Our setup began to look something like the Trans-Siberian Orchestra with different um, plugins and cables going every which way. And Ross was the lead singer. So we did arrangements where we could use a vocalist. Okay. But he was clearly one that, you know, music was his thing and he needed to be musical, but he just needed to be stretched in different ways. And the avenue for songwriting was something that for him, it was a perfect fit. And, you know, looking at all of the music around the world made in various cultures, um, so much of it isn't written down. They're orally transmitted. And um, we've hung our hat almost entirely in the read from notation only Western classical sort of mindset, whereas music is much bigger and more beautiful and more complex than just that. Mm-hmm. So when you teach your class, the courses on progressive music education methods, what are some of these new methods that are available to us now with the advent of technology and the accessibility to technology that weren't available 20 years ago? I can tell you about a class that just actually finished before the virus hit. I teach a class called Progressive Music Education Methods. I arranged it so that the class, during their class time on Wednesdays, instead of meeting in class, would meet in a school. So it's hands-on. It's very practical. We called it a practicum experience. We were in a school with no music program, and so I took my um, undergraduate class of approximately 32, and they paired off into groups of six sixth graders. Each student that would facilitate the band working up a cover song for performance and going hand in hand with that is not only teaching them how to perform the pieces and how to work on the arrangement and how to figure out who's going to do what and break down the structure of the song Um, the idea of making a musical product was part of what they were tasked with so it's one thing to talk about innovative new teaching pedagogies but it's another thing to to do it in practice So what does that look like when you go into a classroom with no musical program and you want to, I'm guessing, engage kids both with some traditional band and choir and orchestra forms, or maybe you don't tackle the orchestra, just stick with the band and choir, but then you're also open to bringing in some of these progressive new methods. So what does that look like? Well, these same students, they take traditional instrumental methods. They take techniques classes where they they learn all the instruments and they're learning how to uh, manage a marching band program. But my specific job among the faculty is progressive music education. So I'm all about teaching them how to prepare to teach classes that don't yet exist widespread, which is a a really cool conversation starter at parties. What do you do? (laughs) So my role and why the students come to me at USF is to get practice and get pedagogical experience doing things that aren't in that realm, you know, Uh not in the band choir orchestra realm. So starting rock, starting sixth grade rock bands is part of that. Yeah. So what are some of these new methods like jam bands, incorporating guitars, which are not used in typical bands and orchestras. We talked about your iPad band. These are all some of the ways that you pull in untraditional methods. Right. Well, when the guiding sort of philosophical foundation is using anything musical at our 
that's in front of us and usable by us to connect people with the well of music. Music is this great, big, beautiful thing that's moved people forever, as long as our recorded history tells us. So the idea of technology has been all along through there. You know, a clarinet is a technology. A trombone at one point didn't exist, but someone came up with that technology and and then we used it in our music. So when an iPad came along, you know, it was just another technology. It's like a guitar, like an electric guitar, like mm-hmm. electric guitar effects that make our instruments sound amazing. Those are all technologies, uh, music performance technologies that in the hands of an artist teacher can make the difference. It can mean everything. Really, the justification or the rationale for why why do you look at progressive methods? You know, why is it important? Why well, the iPad band got going, and not only are we performing lots of different places, including ESPN. You know, I was on national television using my iPad as an instrument, which is fun. But one of the things that happened was uh, the programs coordinator for Arts for All Florida, which is uh, it came out when the Special Olympics did in the 80s. But the lady said, "Can you do something with the students that we serve?" So. What an iPad allows you to do it as an instrument, it's a technology that streamlines, you know, when we, when I learned how to play the trombone, there was lots of technique involved and lots of trial and error and over time developing an embouchure to get just the right sound and mm-hmm. getting better instruments that have better tonal qualities. So there's lots and lots of years of sounding really bad and progressively getting better. Mm-hmm. Well, with the particular iPad technology with apps like ThumbJam and GarageBand, I was able to give students an experience of sounding good right from the beginning. And then through the technology, through how it's laid out, for example, I had students with Down syndrome and their fingers are really big. I was able to customize the keys on ThumbJam to make them bigger to where there's a two-octave scale or a one-octave scale that just by moving things around and shifting things around, you have all of the notes that you need. And with a classroom like that, you can customize just by configuring everyone's instrument to play in the right key and not have to worry about if I was teaching that guitar, I would be teaching all of the fingerings for the scale and how to move it around the neck. Yeah. Now the iPad band concept, I had never heard of that. And I didn't fully understand it until I really read your book and watched some of the YouTube videos. Can you just give like a quick explanation to listeners of what an iPad band is? You explained a little bit of it just now. Each person in the band has their own iPad and each iPad is set to sound like a different instrument. Right. So so my job in the band, uh, because I'm a guitar player, I typically would flip back and forth between apps that are guitar-looking interfaces. So the it's a fretboard, you okay. know, and you've got strings that you can bend. And, and then sometimes I'm a keyboard player, too. Sometimes I would go back, flipping back and forth between apps that had keyboard-looking interfaces. So there's a traditional keyboard, and um, you can make it two octaves or four octaves, and you're making the keys smaller on the screen or bigger, basically. Okay. And then, you know, you can flip back and forth between sounds like a synthesizer. Okay. And I'm guessing that some of the iPad instruments that can be used and utilized aren't even representing traditional instruments. Like it's probably just different buttons that create certain sounds. Is that right? Right. Yeah. The interface uh, basically is anything that you can put on that touch screen. Okay. Um, we did dabble in some of the wind ideas so it was actually blowing in the microphone if you can imagine that that being the the beginning of a sound production so ah, okay it, so sense, sound it senses yeah that doesn't work as well 
I suppose that works better for recording, and which is the other thing that the iPad can do really well. I went from teaching kids how to perform, to use the iPad as an instrument to um, working with them to create scores for animation mm-hmm. and soundtracks for music and, and animation that they were working on. So you can use the GarageBand interface or any other platform, but I use GarageBand because it came with the iPads. And mm-hmm. you can multi-track record and you can create any kind of emotion that you can think of. You can, just like any other digital audio workspace, you can it's like a canvas. It's like a digital sure, canvas. You sure. you start sketching with musical ideas, and you've got tracks that you can layer, and you can mix and fade and pan left and right. Canvas. Okay. Well, and a lot of what you're describing is a lot of what young people are seeing with music being created in the real world, whether it's on TV or on stage with concerts. It's a lot of electronic sounds and layers and so it's it's neat to teach them how to do some of that along with the more traditional music making with band and orchestra instruments because not every teenager is going to be going to hear the orchestra, but a lot of them are listening to rock music or other kinds of music on Spotify, or they're going to those kinds of concerts. And so to be able to equip them to learn how to create those same sounds is really exciting for them and engaging, I'm sure. I think it's a really powerful tool for music teachers. We're all on the side of team music, and we all want to see music continue and flourish into the future. And so we use anything at our disposal to connect people with that. Once a person identifies as a musician, I mean, they really believe that the things that they're doing are are making special with sound. Mm -hmm. It sticks with them. It's contagious. And it's what we really want. Uh, I was a band director. It's what I wanted when I was a band director for someone to continue playing the trombone and the trumpet after they leave me. When they really identify as a music maker, that continues on and on. And I don't have to be in front of them for them to really really have life transforming experiences with music. Sure. Yeah. There is something very powerful about having that identity instead of I'm listening to someone else who's a musician and I enjoy what I'm listening to compared to I am a musician. I create music. I'm one of them. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Mm, Neat. How do you, how do you identify the Rosses in the classrooms? Do you go into a music class and use a holistic approach that utilizes traditional band, choir, orchestra instruments, and some of these newer technological type ways of making music and just see where things settle and what students really identify and, and relate to and resonate with certain ways of making music? Well, our particular program at the University of South Florida is really visionary it's really forward thinking and so we we're all about we have a center for music education research we're really into data and numbers and so the data in florida suggests that approximately so we have data on every high school student in florida and um, band accounts for approximately six percent of the entire enrollment of ninth through twelfth grade music choir accounts for approximately three percent of the total numbers of students in Florida, and orchestra is approximately 1.5% of the total enrollment of secondary schools. So so that doesn't account for other offerings that are growing right now. So the music technology, um, music theory falls into that category, class piano, class guitar. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. If you think about that, and believe me, our colleagues here at USF, we think about a lot. And if you think in terms of like a missionary who wants to reach people, you know, Mm. approximately 90% of the students in our high schools aren't in any music. (laughs) (laughs) And the numbers nationwide seem to be better. Around 20% is a really generous figure. You know, I've seen as high as like 25% enrollment from high schools. And so you can think about that like, well, okay. You know, well, not everyone plays sports and we have to select. We can't do everything. But um, we look at the same data from studies from psychology of music, that same population, adolescent population, listens to music approximately three and a half to five hours a day. Listens to music. So um, I feel great that I'm a music teacher. And are they doing math that much? (laughs) You know, are they thinking scientifically that much Mm -hmm. a day? But they are invested in our field on their own time, substantial amounts of their day. Mm -hmm. And so um, are we doing all that we can to reach the most of them, you know, all of them? So. Well, I like how you point out in your book that people naturally love music. You almost have to teach them not to like it by (laughs) teaching them that it's stale and boring and doesn't relate to them because people do just naturally love it. And there's a quote in your book. You said, teachers must think creatively about change and move forward, believing in a mantra soaked in filled and spilling over with possibility. Again, creativity is the key. And like I said in the beginning of our conversation, I feel like that's so much more applicable, we're realizing, with the result of this pandemic and how we have to be creative. We have to be innovative and think outside the box. And it's really neat how you're using that with jam bands and using computers and tablets as instruments and incorporating songwriting and improv into music classrooms so that kids can see there's not just one or two ways to make music and be creative and be a musician. Yeah, that's it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, the methods that you are using are not the status quo. So I'm guessing that you have experienced some pushback on that. Yes, that's true. It's a a disruptor, but disruptors and disruptive technologies are what carry us into the future, right? So talk to us about some of that balancing act that you've been walking. Yeah, I think everyone wants to protect their own turf and everyone kind of wants to make sure that they have a place as things move forward. And we can all appreciate that. We can all sympathize with that. And I have to think of my colleagues at the School of Music where I work. They're all about getting the very best performers on the trombone, on the saxophone. Their mindset is creating the the most fluent and uh, flexible artists and their medium of performing. And I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. A music education specialist is someone who, because of our orientation, we are concerned with everyone. We're concerned with the entire population of people not just the ones that are musically talented and gifted, not not the ones with the highest aptitude. You know, We have to care about the kids that are in wheelchairs, the kids that can't physically hold a flute, they can't mm-hmm. physically hold a clarinet. We have to care about all of them. And we have to care about the 90% that aren't in band choir and orchestra. Mm-hmm. Part of what our mission needs to be is realizing who's not there and who's not being represented and 
trying to remedy those shortcomings because it really it's our fault it's our responsibility i guess is a better way of saying it falls on our shoulders to care about the people that aren't there and mm. try, try to figure out why they're not mm-hmm. well that's a great point too that i know you touched on earlier and that's just the pure accessibility of this kind of music whether it's because of students like you mentioned who have disabilities or if it's even a financial situation because I remember when my daughter played flute and we had to rent or purchase the flute and not everybody can do that. And depending on the school district that you're in, I know the school district we're in has school provided, school issued technology in terms of iPads or computers. Some schools have Chromebooks. So some Families who may not be able to afford purchasing a flute or some other kind of an instrument may have a school-issued tablet that their kids can create music on. Yeah, and that's happened with kids that we – so the teachers that I told you about earlier – they have progressive methods. And we have a teacher that's in town where I live right now, Landa Lakes, who was one of our graduates. And one of the first things that he did when he got out is start an elementary school iPad band. And so then a mutual friend of ours, one of the parents of one of his kids um, is a friend of ours. And and she was telling me, there's a great music teacher. They, He's got this iPad band. We had a concert outside and it was beautiful. And he had... He had a mixer set up and these massive speakers, and we all sat out on the lawn, and the kids played music, and it was great. And I said, what was your teacher's name? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was Andrew, one of the first students I had at USF. So. Oh, that must have been really gratifying to hear yeah. that story. How yeah. Many, how many teachers are there? How many schools are out there, colleges like yours, that are teaching these kind of methods to up-and-coming teachers? Well, I just, in the fall, I spent a week in Los Angeles, and I guest lectured at UCLA and USC, and both of those places are preparing teachers differently. And in fact, UCLA has an iPad. That's why I was there. I was there to give a workshop in uh, how to use an iPad. And so they had purchased them already. They had purchased mixers and speakers and headphones and all all of the things that we suggest that they should. And Mm -hmm. so it was great to work with them. Good. And but there, it, it's um, it's changed a lot. I've been I've been at this ten years, and there are a lot of people doing wonderful things. A lot of really great innovations happening in music teacher education. Neat. Well, you think about the year two thousand three that you mentioned in your book when GarageBand started being regularly available with computers. You know, that's coming up on twenty years ago. So it really has been a while. Yeah, and you know, right now, it's a very interesting period that we're all forced to go online. We're all forced to think about what is a performance. You know, we had a mm-hmm. meeting this week talking about, is there going to be football in the fall? Is mm-hmm. there, so what is marching, is there going to be marching band? What's it going to look like? Mm-hmm. We can only have 10 people in a room starting in the fall. And so how how do we do large ensembles like that? Yeah. <laughs> the orchestra guy is pulling out his hair, you know, what do I do? <laughs> Uh-huh. So this is the time. I mean, things like this force us to look outside and to think outside the box. So yeah. part of a book that I'm working on right now is called Music Teacher is Music Producer for Oxford University Press, and it's due in June. But it divides up music in the schools from a performance angle, from live performance to recorded uh, recordings. Mm-hmm. Because I think that really half of what we should be doing should be similar to what an art teacher does, where 
where students create art, you create an opportunity for them to make things. And, and they go about making beautiful pieces of art that their mom hangs in the refrigerator and, or frames and, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So in music class, we should be doing that. That should be at least half of what we do should be making musical products. And really that whole idea came when the computer that I got in Coopersville, Michigan had a recording software on it. Mm-hmm. It came with GarageBand. What? You can multi-track record. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to have thousands of dollars worth of equipment. You can do it right there. And it's on our phones. We can multi-track record on our phones. Mm-hmm. So half of what we should be doing in schools is uh, making musical products. Well, now, given that we can't be in the presence of each other, mm-hmm. and it's, in fact, dangerous for us to do that, we should be thinking about ways that making musical products could be a huge part of what we do. Sure. Our large ensembles could be recording in smaller ensembles, mm-hmm. where part of their assignment is to work up a piece of music where they record it. And then that recording could be shared with the community and live streamed and Right. There's a lot of things that we lose by not being able to meet, not being able to gather. So Mm -hmm. it's, I think, maybe the perfect time to think about the rise of recording as being a huge, huge thing that we as musicians need to be thinking about and doing. Yeah, I agree. Well, I'm going to post a link to a YouTube video in the show notes of your iPad band performing because you fully understand it when you get to see it in action. And it's really cool to see. So I'll include that if people want to watch that, go to the show notes. I do ask all of my guests to give listeners what I call an improv, uh, try this at home, a suggestion, a concrete, practical way that people can enhance lives with music. Do you have a suggestion for us today? Well, one that I I use with my students a lot and I like to use myself is when I practice my improvisation, I like to record a loop of myself that I can improvise on top of. The specific technology is it's called a looper pedal. And loopers come in all shapes and sizes. You probably have seen Ed Sheeran. When you go to see Ed Sheeran, it's his entire band is his looper pedal. He'll play a, a loop in and he'll record it and then he'll play on top of it. He'll layer it with vocals and sometimes he uses a keyboard, but it's all a looper station that's at his feet. Okay, you know, um, actually, now that you describe that, I have seen someone in concert do that where they start with just one little riff. And you can see them playing, the, messing with the pedals with their feet. And then that just continues. And then they record another one and layer it on top. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the technology starts right under $100. I think the Boss version is right at $100. But you can record several minutes of audio. You rarely will need that length. You know, you could do a two chord progression or any length of music, but you record it into the pedal and then it plays it back. Some of the pedals are pretty sophisticated. You, like you said, there are three or four tracks that are at your feet, and so you can you can record each track at a time and then play two of them at a time or one or all three. You can hit a button that stops all of them and then sing on top and then hit it again and engages all of them. So it, it opens up your creativity. It's Okay. Is there an iPad app equivalent of that where you can just record something and then kind of hit another button and record a different loop and have it continue to, to repeat? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. GarageBand itself, whenever you open it for the first time that you have eight measures and you would hit record on within the GarageBand app and play something in over the eight bars. And then when it gets to the end, it'll loop that. And so then, you know, you could either go back to the instrument mode and play on top of it or start another track with a different instrument. And so that track will be continuously looping. You could do, in fact, I mean, 
you could do 15 different tracks where you're building each one within that eight measures or 12 you play different instruments uh-huh. and you can layer it that way i'm picturing a family with young kids doing these looping tracks one of them is the dog barking <laughs> one of <laughs> oh, them yeah. is the kids screaming one of the loops is the kids singing a song and just sort of this symphony the covid symphony like this is our family in lockdown in quarantine in 2020 yeah that, that would work For sure. I've taken my iPad as an instrument and ran it through a looper pedal. I've been thinking a lot and writing about this all the time, but that book will be coming. Yeah, yeah. Send me the information on that when it's available, and I'll add that to the show notes. Tell us real quick about your book that is available now in a couple weeks to create. Soon, yeah. Probably by the time that that people listen to this, it'll be out by GIA. So it it was a book that I, I sat down to actually write the Music Teacher as Music Producer book. And this particular book was all I could write. I yeah. I had to get it out. Uh-huh. And so it's a big conceptual, but yet very, very practical kind of book. It, uh-huh. it asks questions like, why are we here? And what is the best use of our time? We all invest our energies into something. But if the things that you're working on um, extend you and push you beyond what you thought you could do and continuously do that it's a hero's journey sort of thing where you are stepping into out of your ordinary world into into a special world and if you do that enough times and you reflect on that what you do is over time is you tap into what the greeks call eudaimonia which is the good life a life well lived creativity and spirituality are your conception about who you are and why you're here And what are you doing with your time and seeking to spend all of that time doing good and doing good for others? And Mm -hmm. so that book is really, really, really layered. There are all kinds of things that weave through the pages, but the idea of um, this life being about much more than what we can see here and, you know, being much more about our relationship and our connectedness with people. And basically, the huge takeaway is that we need the creativity in our lives to live a good life. We need it. We're happiest when we have it. And music is um, one of the most fundamental, special, complex, but yet simple ways of tapping into that thing that we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I highly recommend the book. It's fantastic. And like you said, really shows how integral creating is and being creative to the good life and just being fully alive. Really highly recommend it. I'll include a link in the show notes to that. And also, like I said, the link to the YouTube video of the iPad band and some links to your work with students with disabilities and the community music outreach that Arts for All Florida sponsors. I ask all my guests to close out our conversation with a musical ending, a coda, by sharing a song or a story about a moment that music enhanced your life. Do you have anything to share with us today? Well, one that I always think of is I was teaching a weekly class where I was using the iPad as an instrument, and the coordinator told me one day that I'd have a new student and that she was in a a life threatening car accident that put her in a coma for a year, and she was just coming out of it and her therapist said that she should connect with things that she did before the accident to help her regain her functioning. She was an all-state flute player in Florida before her accident. She was section leader, just tops, uh, as a flute performer. Well, 
the accident left her paralyzed from the waist down with only the mobility of her left hand, some of her left hand. Uh-huh. And um, she had eight surgeries, one where they took out part of her brain, put it in a freezer, and then a different surgery put it back. Oh, and um, in spite of all this, she was wheeled in on that day with her mom. And she said, this is Abigail. She was in a car accident. And at the time, she came in late, and I had the class already going, so they were jamming and um, had different kids taking turns improvising. And so her mom wheeled her up there, and I pulled up Thumb Jam, and I put a flute sound on there. <clears throat> I put her in the right key, and I, and um, you know, the flute sounds. And um, so her mom said, go ahead, and everything. And she put her finger down on the, on the tablet, and a flute came out of the speaker that was right in front of her and the look on her face and the look on her mom's her mom just welled up and um, it was um, you talk about you know people identify as a, as musicians she a huge part of her identity was as a musician mm-hmm. and that was just completely ripped away from her mm-hmm. she will never be able to play the flute like she did before but that instance, at that instance, I had reconnected her with her identity, with her well-being. And so that was, uh, that was what, what it's all about. I mean, it's mm-hmm. what we want to do with our time and what we want to do with our energies and why progressive method is, a, is important. You know, not just to think, how do I make amazing flute players? It's how can I use all of the tools and the things that are right in front of me to do good for people? Thank you so much to Dr. Randalls for sharing with us today. It's really fascinating to hear about the variety of innovative ways that music can be made and enjoyed in a school setting in the 21st century. A huge thanks to Dr. Randalls and all school music teachers everywhere who do so much to enhance lives with music. If you have a story of how a non-traditional method of music education has impacted you or someone close to you, I'd love to hear about it. You can connect with me on my website, social media, or email. All the links are on my website, mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast slash episode 44. There is a link to that page in the episode details right in your podcast app. Quick update on my YouTube journey that I mentioned in last week's episode. If you listen to that, you know that I am trying to learn the ropes of YouTube because my piano student spring recital is going to be virtual on YouTube this spring. It's actually a week from today. And quick update and just one more reason. I love having teenagers. My 15-year-old son offered to help me out as I was working on it on YouTube. And then he actually offered to put the entire thing together for me. And I told him, I don't think you want to deal with me on this because (laughs) this is my spring recital and I'm going to be really picky about it. And he lives with me, so he knows just how picky I can be about every little detail Uh, I explained I'm going to want every student's name on this with the title and composer. I want it to appear on the screen. I want to add applause sound effects between performers. And he still was willing to do it. So God bless Eric. And it really says a lot about how tech savvy and responsible he is that I am taking him up on this offer because I seriously would not consider it if I didn't really trust his capability. So thank you, Eric. 
As I mentioned last week, I am getting videoed performances trickling in from each of my students, and it is like Christmas morning for me every time one comes through. I just love seeing them, and I'm also asking students to send me any fun bloopers that they generate in the process because those are pretty cute and entertaining too. And they go to show that great performers make something look easy that is not easy. Uh, I did receive permission from my son Eric and his friend to post a cute little blooper in today's show notes of their introduction to the duet that they played together that they recorded this past week. So check that out if you want to. Speaking of last week's episode, check that out if you haven't already. This is Memorial Day week, and last week's guest is an incredibly inspiring Marine veteran and Purple Heart recipient, Richard Casper, who tells his story and shares how music is serving those who serve our country. Since Memorial Day is considered the unofficial start of summer in the United States, happy summer. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with music.